Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text hope NY in New York. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hello and welcome back in to another episode of Gamecock Central GM. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and with me here as always, here to break down the film, because I'm not equipped to do so. I am merely a conduit for the insights of Gamecock Central and Prep RA's Wilhelms. Thought it was a successful first episode. I sent it to a bunch of my friends, and they said, wow, I know more about offensive linemen than I ever thought I would know before, so... I hope you all tuned into the first episode. If this is the first one you're listening to, don't forget to go back to last week's episode. Check out the offensive line. We're breaking down every single position group between now and the NFL draft. This week, we're going to focus a little more on the defensive line. We welcome in now Will Helms, again, from GamecockCentral.com and PrepRA.com. Will, how's it going? Uh, going well. How are you? Doing great. Have you just been uh, busy breaking down this tape? Uh, a lot of tape, uh, a little bit of high school tape. Um a little bit of tutoring, you know, all over the place right now. So, staying busy, stay despite busy. the fact that uh, your school has closed for the quarantine. That's uh, that's that's the Wilhelms that I know. Yeah, uh, it's more out of uh, boredom sometimes than a lot of things, but you know it works. Hey, at least you're being productive. A lot of people, I throw myself in this category, are mostly just uh, eating. 
So I guess that's uh, definitely more productive than just eating, breaking down tape, high school, college, NFL, uh, otherwise. Without further ado, let's just jump right in because we have a lot of guys to go through here. You have right now 25 names listed in your draft network board for defensive linemen that you expect to be drafted in just about a month here, April 23rd. The NFL draft is still on schedule right now. It's going to be in front of nobody. I guess it's still going to be televised, but still planning to have it on April 23rd, so we're still trying to get all the position groups in by then. Defensive line is this week, and you got 25 guys on here. Now, you told me before we started recording that you weren't able to break them up into tiers as much as you were able to with the offensive linemen, so why was that, and what's sort of your evaluation process for defensive linemen? So I tried to do it a little bit different on this one. Um, I broke it up more into tiers of um, where I think they'll go. Um, with a, a couple exceptions, so we'll we'll kind of go from day one, like absolute top ten guys, to um, you know our late rounders, and even I've got a potential undrafted free agent on here um, that I actually really like, um, but it doesn't seem like GMs like that much, and so we'll talk about um, kind of why and different things like that. Um, but really, the defensive line is going to be the exact opposite of the offensive line in everything that we're looking at. Um, offensive line, we're going to value consistency. We're going to val- um, value just solid play. You don't need to stand out on tape. You just need to not get beat all the time. And going up against defensive linemen, um, that's kind of the opposite of what you're looking for. Um, I tend to value um, a couple things um, for defensive linemen specifically um, that we see. We hear these words and buzzwords all the time, so I'll try to give some like vocabulary um, so I don't accidentally drop a word and somebody's sitting there going, okay, what does that actually mean? Um, but just a couple of things that I value in my defensive linemen um, varies a little bit based on where you're picking and what needs you have. Um, for the most part, we're going to um, focus more on athleticism over technique. We can always teach technique. Um, NFL coaches know that they can teach a guy a couple pass rush moves. We're looking for a guy that's really, really athletic over a guy that's really refined and looks like he's got a um, very sophisticated um, type of game. Uh, We're also looking for pass rush over run stopping. Um, Teams just don't run it as much in the NFL. And there's data out there to suggest, you know, on the analytics, there's data out there to suggest that it really does not matter what you do to stop the run or what you do to establish the run. It's just not that big a deal. Um, So we're looking for guys that are going to be pass rushers if we talk about the top 20 defensive linemen in the NFL. We're going to always talk about their pass rush ability. Maybe when we get down there a little bit, we'll get to some rotational defensive tackles that might come in as a run stopper here or there. Um, We like guys that are versatile. We like guys that don't have a set position on the defensive line. Um, Yesterday, if anybody tuned in, I did a uh, Twitch stream um, on Monday um, breaking down Javon Kinlaw and Derek Brown. One of the things we talked about is their versatility and how they can play at zero technique, one technique, two technique. That just basically says how far away from the ball they're um, playing, if they're staying way outside, um, outside of even like the tight end or if they're right over the uh, center. Um, We like guys that can be versatile and play all over the defensive line, and then we like guys that can play two gap or one gap. Um, And one gap is basically their goal is to shoot the gap either left or right. They know before the play what they're going to do. Um, it's a lot of quickness. It's a lot of athleticism. Um, and they're trying to cause disruption. And we like our two-gap guys, too, that are going to kind of sit back and play whichever way the offensive, the offense kind of leans them towards. 
Um, if it's a run to the left, they're going to play the gap to the left. If it's a run to the right, they're going to play the gap to the right. Um, takes a little bit more, um, a little bit more technique, a little bit more refinement, um, understanding of the game, that kind of stuff. And so we like guys that can play all over, and we like guys that can play both one gap and two gap schemes. Um, because if we do that, then we don't have to worry about where they go um, as much as what kind of player they are. Um, there are going to be a couple of guys in this draft, and we'll talk about them, that really could be anything from an absolute bust out of the league in a year to perennial pro bowler, depending on where they go um, and what kind of defensive scheme they're in. Um, and then the last thing is we like edge rushers. Uh, we break it down um, like the guys in the draft do. I don't really like to talk about defensive tackle, defensive end, um, just because talking about the versatility, so many guys are versatile um, these days that we want to say, okay, do you mainly play on the edge? That would be outside linebacker that rushes the passer. Think of Khalil Mack, um, guys like that, or a defensive end. Think of JV and Clowney. Um, both of those guys are going to fit in the same um, category for our purposes here. Um, but we like guys, and what we're looking for on the edge, we like guys that are quick off the snap, um, that have quick feet, um, good reaction time, um, good what we call burst or explosion. And then we like guys with good bend. And bend is just the fastest way to the quarterback is a straight line. And so guys without really good bends have to go way further outside of the offensive tackle to get around. Um, we like guys that can bend their body. To, um, they'll dip a shoulder. If they're on the left side, they'll dip their left shoulder, um, get under the offensive lineman and get around. And guys with really good bend um, tend to uh, project better into the NFL than guys that are a little stiff on the outside. Um, so those are some things that we're looking at. Um, but when we're breaking these guys down into tiers, we're looking for kind of, you know, what is a, a team looking for? In a defensive lineman, you really don't care if you draft a bust on the defensive line because he's usually going to be a rotational guy at worst. Um, if you draft a bust on the offensive line, he's not going to help your team at all. He's only going to hurt your team, um, and that's just not what you want. On the defensive line, we have a little bit more tolerance for risk in picks because the difference between a bad and an average defensive lineman is not that much, but the difference between a good and an elite defensive lineman can be three, four, five wins in a season. Mm. Um, so we have a little bit more tolerance for risk, um, which is a lot of how I um, ranked a lot of these guys. This isn't, um, you tuned in last week, it's not really a, this is the best guy, this is the second best guy, this is the third best guy, but more of a, you know, we're going to talk about the, the first guys in the first two rounds. Then we're going to talk about some guys that I think are a little bit underrated, and we'll talk about why I think they're a little bit underrated, um, and then maybe a guy or two that I think is a little bit overrated. Um, but that's really what we want to talk about more um, than, okay, this is the guy I think is best, this is the guy I think is best. Because ultimately we don't know until they get drafted what kind of scheme they're going to be in or anything like that. So there's a lot to unpack there in terms of your methodology. I guess one of the places that I want to start, since that's where you left it, in terms of the scheme dependence, does that mean that when you're making your essentially your big board for defensive line, last week we talked about the difference between a big board and a mock draft and how what you do is typically closer to big board because you're just saying these are the guys that I like the best without necessarily thinking about the team. Do you have to consider team more with defensive line than any other position group? It just depends on the defensive lineman. Um, we'll talk about there are four can't-miss prospects. Um, just absolutely can't-miss. Um, at worst, are going to be starters for years. Um, beyond that, 
it does kind of depend on where does your defensive coordinator see you. We'll see some guys that are very positionless um, that don't really have a set place to be. And those guys can be a little bit tricky to project just because we don't know what a defensive coordinator is thinking. All it takes is one defensive coordinator has some brilliant idea. Um, the example I always use, and this is not necessarily – I guess it is a little bit related, but J.J. Watt, um, I think a lot of people know, was a two-star tight end going to Wisconsin. And you have this random defensive line coach that was like, hey, that guy that's not playing at all, I want him at defensive end, and the rest is history. Hmm. Um, Because he had a vision and a plan for where he saw J.J. Watt based on his athleticism, um, where he saw him playing. Um, Defensive line seems to be one of the easiest positions to at least become competent at learning-wise if you've got the um, physical tools. Um, it's, you know, a lot of times you can really sit there and there's room for a guy, even in the NFL, of you're not very sophisticated in any of your movement or anything like that. You don't really know a lot of what you're doing, but you're fast and you're strong, so you can get to the quarterback every once in a while. Um, so there are some guys with these athletic profiles that we know are probably going to be um, – probably going to be good but it still depends on what what the team sees um we've got big differences between a four three and a three four um defense um so even though we call them the same positions of like defensive end a three four defensive end is way different than a four three defensive end um and so we'll talk about that as we get to some individual guys and where i see them projecting um, but we do have some guys like every year that are just, it doesn't matter where they play. They could play. We've got a couple guys that could play linebacker that could play probably safety um, and still be really, really good. In terms of the, I guess, flexibility, you go back to a guy like Clowney or in just the difference between three, four and four, three, he's a guy that could play, you know, the outside linebacker or put your hand in the dirt in the three, four, but you saw him thrive once he moved to Seattle this year and played in a more traditional four, three defense. And he was allowed to, to kind of, match up his skill sets, even though he can do both. I, I, I guess that's probably a good example that people listening to this would probably be familiar with in terms of uh, maximizing a guy, even if he does have that sort of versatility. And with the versatility, obviously you mentioned that pass rushing is a lot more valuable than run stopping, at, you know, just the way that the NFL game is played now. But last week you talked about how much more valuable offensive tackles are as opposed to interior defensive linemen. You highlighted versatility as sort of like the premium for defensive linemen, but even still, do you see a tendency towards true pass rushing defensive ends or true I'm going to eat up a lot of blockers defensive tackles, or is it really just about is your primary skill pass rushing or is your primary skill run stopping? I think it's more the latter because um, we think the best pass rushing defensive lineman, in my opinion, um, and I, I don't think it's an unpopular opinion, is a defensive tackle in Aaron Donald. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think I saw on PFF the other day, I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but in the past eight years, he's got like 40 more pressures than any other defensive lineman, um, which is just insane. Um, we're talking basically once a game, he's getting the back. But we were watching, um, I was watching last night, um, ESPN's running reruns um, on a lot of things, and they um, ran a rerun of that super high-scoring um, Rams Chiefs game. Yeah, the Monday Night Football um, from a couple years ago. Yeah. And it's this offense heavy, it was like 45-41 or something like that final score, but the difference maker was Aaron Donald. Um, and, you know, even if the Chiefs were moving down the field every single time, he had two plays where he just completely 
shut them down. Um, and if you get a guy like that, really, a, we talk about pass rush win rate, win rate a little bit, which just basically says one-on-one, what percentage of the time do you beat your man? Um, and for offensive linemen, we're hoping that we have a pass block win rate in the like high 80s, low 90s minimum. Um, but if we don't have um, – for a defensive lineman, we're not looking for that. We're looking for a guy that can he get in the backfield 25 30% of the time. Um, and if so, then um, he – that is going to translate probably to, um, you know, four or five difference-making plays a game, um, which can be huge, obviously. So has the, I guess, increased importance put on interior pass rush been a result of people – watching how important a guy like Aaron Donald can be, or has it been more results of the way that football's played in the NFL changing, allowing interior pass rush to have more of an impact? Has it been been Aaron Donald or has it been the offenses that have made interior pass rush more valuable? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, You know, just basic what percentage of the time our team's running has gone way down in the past five years. Um, teams are passing the ball more, but I mean, even back in uh, as early as like 2003, 2004, you talk about the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, what's the best way to um, stop a good quarterback? And it's interior pressure. Um, that's always been like Tom Brady's weakness and Tom Brady doesn't really have a weakness, but if he did, it would be, you put pressure right in his face. Um, if you got a guy on the end, if you've got a, uh, that comes around the corner, you have a smart quarterback. He can step up in the pocket, um, create more space, um, and have plenty of room um, to make throws. Um, it's one of the things that we really look for in, in quarterbacks is not just can you run, but can you move around in the pocket a little bit. Um, and you, you've got some guys like Lamar Jackson, as good as he is as a runner, he's even better at making small adjustments in the pocket. Patrick Mahomes is good. Um, Russell Wilson is okay at it, I guess. Um, so it's not necessarily like a running quarterback. Um, but you can step up in the pocket and have plenty of room to throw. Well, if you've got pressure straight in front of you, you can't step up. You can't step into your throw, and that's where you start throwing passes, uh, overthrowing passes, um, losing accuracy, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. It's always been valuable, but it's been made more valuable by how often teams are passing um, and just general athleticism of quarterbacks. Um, it used to be that, if you are a regular, normal defensive end, four three three four three four defensive ends are usually less athletic. The average three four defensive end is probably more athletic ten years ago than maybe eighty percent of quarterbacks. Mm. And now you've got all these athletic quarterbacks that can outrun even the most athletic defensive linemen. Um, so you need pressure in the face, and so it's allowing guys like Aaron Donald to step up. Um, and make a big difference. J.J. Watt plays inside a lot, um, even though he's listed as a defensive end. He um, makes a, has a ton of disruption up the middle. Um, you talk about a lot of these other um, defensive tackles. Gerald McCoy has been doing it for years. Um, you got got a lot of guys that maybe 10 years ago would have been good players, but the schemes that offense are, the offenses are running out are making them just so much uh, more more valuable to a team. Well, let me start to transition into your list then to ask my next question. If interior pass rush is so valuable, the first guy you have on this list is Chase Young, and that's not a hot take. A lot of people consider him to be the best player in college football. But the next two guys you have are Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw. 
traditional interior defensive lineman. So is Chase Young just so good that it's more valuable to have the hit just him on your team, even though he's at a position that's, I guess, theoretically less advantageous to have a, a dominant playmaker in today's NFL? So this, the numbers still say that an elite or a good edge rusher is going to be more important than a good defensive tackle. I think where we see it right now where a defensive tackle becomes more important is that top one-tenth of one percent. If you have an Aaron Donald on your team, he's probably more important than if you have, um, real, statistically, a Jadavian Clowney, um, uh, another edge rusher that maybe plays outside of Khalil Mack. Aaron Donald's probably a little bit more important but it's just at that top 1%. And so we're still going to look at edge rushers. Um, you, you really want – teams are going to put money into their offensive line and their tackles. So you want a guy that can take on the other team's best player um, and win a lot. And Chase Young won a lot this year. His uh, PFF pass rushing grade was a 96.5, which is just absolutely ridiculous. He missed like three or four games and finished second in the country in pressures. Um, which is what we're looking at more than sacks because sacks can be a luck factor sometimes. Um, but we're looking at, you know, how often are we getting to the quarterback? How often are we rushing the quarterback um, and, and speeding up his reads and making him make mistakes? And Chase Young is the best in the, um, in the class at doing that. Um, the other thing that you have to look at um, with defensive ends, just stereotypically edge rushers are going to be on the field more often, um, usually smaller body sizes, usually just a little bit more in shape. There are um, – exceptions we'll talk about Javon Kinlaw in a second who is an exception to that um but they're going to be on the field a little bit more so you're drafting a guy up there that's just an elite elite pass rusher there's been basically one a year for the past five years um Nick Bosa was that guy last year and he completely lived up to the hype um was by some measures the best defensive player in the NFL last year as a rookie um and you've got similar ability with Chase Young and he's just it's basically we talk about floor and ceiling. I think we talked about that last week a little bit. We're going to talk about that more with defensive linemen today. But um, his floor is a solid above-average starter. Like the absolute worst he could be without any sort of future injury or something weird happening is he's going to be the be- one of the better defensive linemen on your team, if not the best defensive linemen on your team, no matter what team it is. Um, and we're talking about ceiling – his ceiling is eight, ten Pro Bowls. Um, he's just that good of a pass rusher. So one of the things we talked about with offensive linemen last week, and I'm going to be curious to get your breakdown for each position group in terms of how much you value film versus how much you value tape. It sounds like Chase Young, obviously we know the film is incredible just watching him. He passes the eye test with flying colors. It sounds like the advanced metrics reflect that. Is he the best defensive lineman in the class by both the advanced metrics and you watching his film? Um, it's really, really close. Um, you're talking about if it were another class, yes. Um, if the top four guys of this class would probably be the the number one, number two worst last year, and we're talking about Nick Bosa, you throw Nick Bosa out of the equation, you've got usually one guy a year that you can look at and go, that guy's a stud. He's absolutely going to dominate the NFL. And you've got four guys this year that I have that kind of grade on, that kind of can't miss your, you know, We talked about first-round success rate last week being just a little bit above 50%. These guys are way above 50% um, success rate. Um, If you draft one of these first four guys, you will be happy about it. 
Um, Panthers last year had Brian Burns. Um, he was one of my favorites. Um, we've got a guy this year that actually game-wise is really, really similar. He's probably my NFL comparison to him. Um, so we've, we've got a couple guys every year, but this, this group is special at the top. So even though it seems like Chase Young is the consensus best of these guys, uh, most mock drafts and big boards, pretty much every single one that I've looked at, have him going number two overall before Derek Brown, before Javon Kinlaw. You have uh, Kalevon Chase on as your fourth defensive lineman, which I'm curious to ask you about because, I mean, he yeah, he's an edge rushing guy, but he played linebacker in college and he he looks like a linebacker. He doesn't have that, you know, traditional like big edge rushing frame, you know, compared to someone like a Chase Young. So I'm curious to ask you about him in just a couple of minutes. But based on what you're telling me, it sounds like you wouldn't be surprised to see any of these four guys be the best in the class, or would you be surprised if it was someone besides Chase Young? I would probably be a little bit surprised. Um, but when we're talking best in the class at this point, it's like arguing Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. Of, I mean, maybe by some of the metrics, we're going to say that um, Patrick Mahomes is a little bit better of quarterback. He's got a way better coaching staff and a way better um, supporting cast, um, all that kind of stuff. But we're really, you know, when we're arguing this, it's it's like we don't want to argue at, at this point, okay, which of these guys is better if they're all perennial pro bowlers? Um, you know, what's the point of arguing Peyton Manning versus, versus Tom Brady? And these guys have, all four of these guys have the ability to be, you know, top, six to eight um, defensive linemen in football for 10 years to come. Um, that's just unreal in a class. Um, and so, you know, we've talked about this, this draft class is really good um, at certain positions, and defensive line is probably one of the best, especially up at the top. And you mentioned the high variance. It sounds like all these guys have that high floor and high ceiling that you were talking about, but what are indicators that you've seen that someone might have a low floor and a high ceiling as opposed to a high floor and a high ceiling or a low floor and a low ceiling. Are there any tips? Is it mostly like work ethic, things you have to worry about off the field? Or is there there something in the games of some of these guys, you know, maybe outside of the top four, that while they might have a high ceiling, have a higher bust potential than Chase on Kinlaw, Brown, and Young? So I'll use, and this is not that he has, a low floor, but he's got the lowest floor of the four, and that would be Javon Kinlaw. Um, just because he's not very developed as a pass rusher, um, maybe maybe Chason maybe has a little bit lower of a floor than Kinlaw in my mind. Um, what we're looking at Kinlaw is Kinlaw is just freakishly athletic, but if you look at his film, he's still really raw. Um, he, he said at the Senior Bowl that this was the first his senior year was the first time he ever worked on any sort of pass rushing move other than I'm stronger than you. I'm going to push you away. <laughs> um, we, if you have a really, there are really bad coaches in the NFL that I, they just get recycled through. They're just not very good. If you end up with a guy that's going to look at Javon Kinlaw and say, yeah, you're good as you are like, you know, go play, whatever. You might see Javon Kinlaw not take that next step from good to elite. Um, we're looking at this is where kind of the production versus the film um, goes in. We're always – guys rarely have both. You've got three guys that have both, um, and that's Kinlaw, Young, and Brown. Um, but then you've got, like, thing that makes um, Caleb and uh, – that makes Caleb and Chasen a little bit different um, would be that he doesn't have the production that these guys have. He is freakishly athletic. Is going to test. He tests 
like crazy. Um, I hate that he didn't run at the combine because he would have run some just ridiculous times for um, a defensive end, defensive line, um, linebacker kind of hybrid guy. Um, but it also leaves him to have a little bit lower of a floor. You get a team that, for whatever reason, falls in love with him but doesn't really have a place for him to play. Um, or they fall in love with him at one particular position, like, oh, we're going to teach him how to play linebacker. Like, he played more he, – he rushed the passer a lot in college. Um, he, he did work in some man coverage here and there and do some linebacker stuff, but he rushed the passer, the passer a lot. And so if you get a team that just falls in love with him in this one weird role and he gets picked by that team and it just doesn't work out, um, usually after your rookie contract, you don't see a team that's like, oh, this guy didn't really play well, but we think we could change his position and make him play better. At that point, teams are going to go after the 22-year-old in the draft versus the 26-year-old that hasn't been good for, you know, three or four years. Um, So we're looking, you know, production and um, what things project. Um, We've got a couple guys in this class that were really good in college, and they just don't project really well to the NFL just – because of how they won in college is not going to work in the NFL. Um, so, so we're looking at that kind of stuff. Um, what do they need to improve to go from college to the NFL? And we've got guys that, you know, Chase Young, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, when we're saying what do they need to improve on, we're saying what do they need to improve on to become an, to go from an everyday starter to a perennial pro bowler. We're looking at some of the guys lower of what does this guy need to improve on to go from a practice squad to a game. Um, different things like that. But if you've got a guy that wins in one or two areas, if he gets put in a position to succeed, he will succeed. If he doesn't, he probably won't have much success. Let's stick with Chase on here since we're already talking about him. What do you feel like is – what are some of maybe the better landing spots for him in terms of a coach that's going to use him the right way, a defense that's going to fit his skill set? Because, again, I am intrigued – I was intrigued to see him this high up on your draft network board because he played so much linebacker. And I'm curious sort of what you look for. Obviously, you mentioned the speed, just the general athleticism. He's obviously a high-character guy. He wore the number 18 for LSU. So, you know, the heart and soul of that team, the leader of that team, for those of you that don't know, that's kind of, if not the best player on the team, that's the player that kind of means the most. He's kind of the locker room guy. You know, a proven track record of being a high-character guy in the locker room in college is always someone that you're going to want on your team. But what do you look for when you see someone – moving down from playing a lot of linebacker, playing more in space, probably having a little bit slimmer body type to, even if he's not going to have his hand on the ground, getting in the box a little bit more. So this is, I don't like doing player comparisons. Um, I know a lot of people do. Um, One, it's difficult. Um, I don't watch, you have to watch hours and hours and hours of NFL film to be able to come up with one comparison for a guy sometimes. Um, but this comparison is just too easy. Um, again, Panthers fan, um, Brian Burns last year. Same concerns, same, he wins at the same places. If we can make a chart of this is where he ranks explosiveness-wise, this is where he ranks um, with the bend um, around the corner, this is where he ranks against the run, this is where he ranks um, just a pure pass rusher, um, and you overlaid that, um, Burns and Chasen's, they would look identical. Um, they're just about the same exact size. Let me look here. Yeah, they are the exact same size. Um, they're both 6'5", 250. Um, they both played mostly linebacker, but rushed the passer a lot um, in the NFL. What you're looking for with Chasen is can he learn? Um, can he learn a scheme? And that's never been an issue at LSU. 
he was doing those things at LSU not because he couldn't do other things, but because that's where he was the, the most suited to play in LSU's defense. Um, so there are videos of him. We've got, um, you know, some film of him uh, against uh, Oklahoma covering tight ends. Really, he played more of a, I would say, it was kind of LSU's version of the buck position that um, South Carolina has on their team. He played that a lot, but he's dropping back in coverage. Um, he's playing the run a little bit. He's going on stunts. He's, he's looping around a lot. Um, he actually did a lot of things at LSU. The one thing we don't have from him is we don't have elite production. I think he had 25 tackles last season um, or something like that, um, about maybe six sacks, seven sacks, something like that. And he does have an ACL tear from two years ago. Um, but he's the most explosive, the most athletic edge rusher in the draft. He's the most, you know, he's, if Brian Burns doesn't exist last year, he's the most athletic person last year's draft. Um, you know, from preliminary studies, he's the most athletic edge rusher in next year's draft. Um, he's just freakishly explosive, especially off the ball. And there are times where he can get around a defensive or an offensive lineman before the offensive lineman is out of his stance. Like he sits standing in the backfield before the offensive lineman realized he's moved. He's just that quick. Um, and he's long, and we, we like length. Um, he's going to be a guy he doesn't need to have five different ways to beat an offensive lineman. He can just outrun him um, to the outside and cause a lot of issues for offenses um, from there. But the one thing we're looking at is he's got all the athletic tools. He did a lot of different stuff at LSU. He just doesn't have a lot of the gaudy numbers that we might look for um, from some of these guys. At defensive line, that doesn't matter to us as much. We care more about athleticism, um, film, all that kind of stuff in production. We'll talk about some of my lower guys. I like production, but we'll talk about some like career sack leaders that may be undrafted free agents and things like that. Hmm. Uh, real quick, one follow-up with, with Chase on, and, and since you make the comparison to Burns, is it easier for teams to take a chance on a guy like that moving down again, closer to the line of scrimmage, moving into the box when they've played in the ACC and when they've played in the SEC because they're going to be facing more offensive linemen that are NFL size, that are NFL speed, and a little more NFL ready than the guys that you're going to see in Group of Five and D2 and FCS, I mean? So we did not talk about this beforehand, but yes, I'm going there. Of We love SEC edge rushers more than any other position. We really, really, really like SEC defense linemen. Um, so is the NFL. Um, the NFL for the past 10 years, I think, the SEC has had the most defensive linemen um, pick if we want to go down this draft board. I think out of these 25 guys, 14 of them are SEC guys. Um, that's off the top of my head. It might be more. I can't remember. Um, but, yes, because we, we know that he's facing big athletic offensive tackles every week and still winning um, versus trying to project, okay, does that speed end up um, – translating to the NFL where he's going to be playing, um, you know, NFL offensive tackles. He did play offense, or NFL offensive tackles last year, and he played well against them. So we're not having to worry about that. We'll move back up your board real quick because we skipped over uh, Brown and Kinlaw in terms of what the comparison is. You mentioned you did this on your Twitch stream yesterday, so y'all go check out the Twitch stream. Those things are, like, vodded, right, so they can go back and rewatch them? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. All right, um, so, so don't spoil uh, the whole thing because uh, it's really cool that you're doing this on Twitch. But give us a little bit of a, of a sample of what people can look for in the Twitch stream and just one or two things that, in your mind, separate Brown and Kinlaw. 
So they're actually really similar prospects, um, which we they have athletic profiles that I really like. Um, that's I, I say we as like a, a collective we of like when we're watching the draft, all of us can appreciate Javon Kinlaw and, and Derek Brown. But um, I've got them two and three. I've gone back and forth on which one I like better. It's really going to come down to scheme and who wants one guy over the other. Um, Derek Brown gives you a little bit more all around. Um, he's just a little bit more crisp. He's a little bit more polished in his um, pass rush moves. He wins a little bit um, in different ways um, and a little bit better against the run. But you just have Javon Kinlaw. I know some teams that want to play him at defensive end at six foot six, three hundred and fifteen pounds, um, and that's not out of the question. He's going to play as far out as the seven technique. Um, in again, we're talking about techniques. Um, you know, defensive tackles. We think zero technique, one technique, maybe two technique, which is in between. Zero technique would be on the center. One technique would be just slightly left or right of the center. Two technique would be on the guard. Seven technique is you're lining completely outside, lining up outside of the offensive tackle. Um, and Javon Kinlaw is going to play there. Um, he's going to play five technique. He's going to play three technique. Whoever picks him is just – he can play any position on the defensive line. He's huge. He's faster than most of the guys on this list. Um, he's got explosive steps. He's got the longest arms in the draft. He's got the longest wingspan in the draft. He's got some of the biggest hands in the draft. Um, that kind of stuff that we like to look for. Um, one of the things that I broke down in Kim Law's film is he's got to get more polished in his pass rush sets. He needs to pick up a couple more moves. You don't see him really doing a lot of swim moves, a lot of rips, a lot of um, uh, moving guys out of the way like you do Derek Brown. Um, Derek Brown has a really good what we call pass rush counter of, okay, your first idea didn't work. The offensive lineman stopped you. What are you going to do? There's a game, uh, play against Alabama where he tries to bull rush and he gets stood up by a really good op um, offensive lineman. And so he just takes him and throws him down because the offensive lineman started leaning forward a little bit, and Jarrett Brown recognized that um, and threw him down. And so it was this kind of like he was going forward, realized that didn't work, changed his mind halfway through the play, threw him down and made a tackle. You're not going to see a lot of that from Javon Kinlaw, but you're also not going to see I – I went through and I just made sure I, I tried to find it. There is no place at all um, you will ever see Javon Kinlaw, and it won't happen in the NFL either, where if he extends his arms, it's over. Um, if he gets his arms extended, he is making the tackle. He is causing disruption. And that's where you saw, like, um, he took say, uh, Alabama offensive linemen. And just, I believe he blew back to center at one point um, on a play and made a sack. Um, early in the Alabama game where he just gets his arms extended and throws the offensive, pushes the offensive lineman around like he's my size. Um, he'll, do, he'll do that a lot. He does that in the Georgia game several times. Um, my favorite play of the year from Javon Kinlaw is Israel Mukwamu's uh, pick six. Uh, on that one, again, he gets the offensive lineman a little bit off balance, stands him up, extends his arms, and then it's over. At that point, you know something bad's happening to the offense. Um I've not seen a guy, an interior offensive or defensive lineman like that in years, um, be able to do that. He's got some um, – this is a weird comparison for Javon Kinlaw. I, thought, I know I said I hate player comparisons, and then I'm going to give you two. Um, there's a little bit of Javon curse in Javon Kinlaw's game, um, which is, I know, like a really old reference there. 
Um, but just the physical profiles, the, the versatility, all that kind of stuff. If a team likes Javon Kinlaw a lot and knows what they want to do with him, there, there are teams right now that are probably thinking, if we get Javon Kinlaw, he's going to do this, 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 and this for us. That's where Kinlaw needs to end up versus falling and some guy going, well, you know, he's a pretty good defensive lineman. We'll take him. We really want a guy or a team that's going to look at Javon Kinlaw and go, we know exactly where we want you to play, and we're going to have you do that. Um, and we're going to play to his strengths. And then from there, pass rush sets you can learn. You can't learn to be six foot six, 315 pounds. You can't learn to be um, super quick. You can't learn to be – um, you know, have super ridiculously long arms. And Kinlaw has all of that. He can learn how to, you know, maybe be a little bit more polished in a rip or a swim or something like that. And with that, I know you said that he maybe has the lowest floor of those top four guys of Young, Brown, Kinlaw, and Chasen. But it sounds like maybe he also has the highest ceiling of any of those four guys, given his athleticism, given his versatility. Yeah, I have him as, as the highest ceiling. Um, I did a um, a big board just kind of overall as far as ceiling, um, and I have him as the number three player um, behind uh, Tua and uh, Joe Burrow um, in this draft as far as ceiling. Um, because if he can go to a place where he is used well, he will without a doubt be the best defensive lineman in the history of South Carolina to go pro. Um, he will just have that good of a pro career if he can get somewhere that um, that uses him properly. Man, exciting first four guys. I, I don't want to stop talking about him because there's so much potential here, but we do have to move on. We have a lot of other defensive linemen to get to. You kind of separated those four guys. Again, you didn't have these tiered out like you did with the offensive linemen, but what's the next sort of grouping that you're looking at? So I've got five guys in my next group, and I called this group my high-risk, high-reward day one picks. So they're like fringe first-round, second-round picks. Again, these guys usually come with a red flag or two, um, but the, the upside is just crazy there. Their floor is really low. Um, you've got guys that could be horrible, horrible first-round picks if they go high and don't pan out. Um, but my first guy is Yitor Gross um, Matos, and he's from Penn State. Crazy, crazy athletic. Um, his sophomore year was just insane. He had like 15 sacks, um, 55 tackles, like 25 tackles for loss, and never got better. Um, and so that's kind of his the caveat with him. Of, he had this insane sophomore year, and everybody's going, this guy could be a top three pick and just never got better. He actually regressed a little bit, um, had a little bit of an injury. I can't remember what it is. Let me pull it up here. Um, had, I want to say, like an Achilles injury or something like that. Um, but um, a, a couple of years ago, um, he's a guy I really, really like over a lot of these other guys. I'm seeing him in the six to seven um, defensive lineman range. I've got him as my number five defensive lineman. Um, he'll probably go in the early, early 20s, maybe the um, late teens. But he's a guy. Um, he can play a little bit of 3-4. He can play 4-3. Um, really athletic. Um, we like his size. We like his athletic ability. Um, he's a guy where if he can pan out, um, he's going to be another guy that we're going to be able to um, see for years in the NFL. 
Um, My next guy there, another Big Ten guy, is Zach Bond. He's got so many red flags as far as injuries, production, all this kind of stuff. But when he was on the field, he was really, really good. We still don't know really where he's going to be. He played a little bit more defensive end at uh, Wisconsin. He'll probably transition to that 3-4 outside linebacker, that Khalil Mack type of – he's playing linebacker, he's playing off the ball, but he's blitzing probably – you know, 70, 80% of the time. Um, he probably has is the highest risk of any of these guys. Um, but we like his athletic profile. Um, and like I said, I'm going to take a chance sometimes on an athletic um, edge rusher because the payoff there is so big if it works out. What's the difference um, between the lack of productivity in Bond and Chasen? Is it something that shows up in the advanced metrics or is it just – a lot of work that just doesn't result in helping the team. Kind of the latter of Jason. When we say production, we mean he doesn't have great numbers. Um, he didn't have a lot of tackles. He didn't have a ton of sacks. Um, but his film is just eye popping. And you look at him, and even if he's not having his best game, you look at Jason uh, and go, "Wow, that guy's good." There are times where you kind of forget that Bond existed. Um, when watching Wisconsin, um, he just kind of disappears for possessions for games at a time. Um, and he has all that injury history. He's got two or three um, pretty bad injuries um, in the past. He was healthy this last season. Um, he's a little bit smaller. And so he's got a little bit more of that red flag. But we like how he moves. Um, and he's really, really intelligent. Um, he's got that, think, stereotypical um, Big Ten linebacker, defensive end, kind of he could play any position. Um, but he has a very similar the, – the big one was he has a very similar foot injury to what like Cam Newton had, um, and he had it twice, which he was healthy this last season, but we don't love that he's got injury of, or history of a foot injury. Um, and we don't like that he's um, disappeared for several games at a time. But he's one of those guys that – while he hasn't played off the ball a lot, there's no worry about is he going to be able to pick this up? Is he going to be able to do what you want him to do? Because he's athletic and he's smart. So as long as you've got a plan for him and he stays healthy, you can find a place for him on, on the field. Um, but he could very easily transition into like a middle linebacker type of guy and you know drop a little bit of weight and um, you know move kind of towards middle linebacker instead of that outside linebacker hybrid defensive end. Um, we really don't know where he's going to end up or what he's going to look at. It's really going to be what team likes him. Um, but there are rumors. He's a day two guy, but there are rumors that are a couple guys in the um, late first round, a couple teams really, really like him. And he's a candidate for that. You know, nobody has him ranked in the first round, but he could go in the first round. You mentioned this is a group that's high risk, high reward. So this is what you're talking about with just the variance in defensive linemen and franchises valuing that because it sounds like these five guys maybe aren't as – is it fair to say they're not as safe as some guys that are going to be drafted behind them, but because of the upside and because of the game-changing potential that that position and then these players offer, it's worth the risk for these franchises? Absolutely. Um, it, late first round's a little early, I think, for a lot of this kind of stuff, especially because you can get some guys later in the in the draft um, that I do think um, do have, offer high upside as well. Um, but these are guys that they test well. Um, with the exception of our next guy, um, they were pretty good in college. You can look at him and go, okay, I can see how that guy's a first or second round pick. Um, 
there are a lot of guys that will probably pan out in the NFL that you shouldn't be able to look at them right now and say, that's a first-round pick. There are enough red flags or maybe not red flags, but just uh, flaws in the game that will push them down the board um, and very justifiably so, um, but will end up being superstars in the NFL. Um, It's just the way it is. Um, It's the beauty of the draft, honestly. You can have a guy that um, goes first round that doesn't pan out at all, and you can have a guy in the fourth round that comes in immediately and just dominates. Um, And that's kind of the beauty of the draft. Um, But our next guy is literally the exact opposite of these last two guys. Um, No injury concerns. Um, He's super, super productive on the field. Um, High level of uh, competition. Uh, Played a lot of different positions on the field. He's just not athletic. And that's A.J. Epinesa. He was a mid to early first-round pick. Like some guys had him in the top 15. And then he got to the combine. And he weighed in about 15 pounds heavier than what he should have. Um, He ran a really bad 40. His shuttle time was bad. Um, Basically anything that would mark quickness was bad. Um, And it would suggest he's got to move inside. He's in the – he's weighing in or weighed in at the um, combine at 275, which is not what we're really thinking of with a 4-3 defensive end, which is what he played in college. But he's going to have to change positions because you're talking about him playing the same position as Jadavian Clowney, and that just doesn't work. Um, he's going to have to move inside either to a 3-4 defensive end, um, kind of a, more of a space eater, um, can get to the passer every once in a while, but really is trying to open up some space for the linebackers behind him, um, or even moving down to a 4-3 defensive tackle kind of guy, um, three technique, five technique, same position that Javon Kinlaw and Derek Brown play, and I just don't see the upside that I would see in Javon Kinlaw or Derek Brown. Um, if, if I were a team going into the draft going, I really want Kinlaw or Brown. I hope they fall. I just don't see a team going, man, we missed out on Javon Kinlaw. Let's just get Epinesa. He's fine. Um, I really just don't see that happening. Um, so I think he's a candidate to fall out of the first round, even though like a month ago he was considered a surefire top 20 pick. Red flags are red flags for a reason, but are there some that are – worse than others is being injury prone better or worse than not being athletic or better or worse than you know maybe character issues off the field i think um it changes the upside a little bit um it changes the risk a little bit so to say better or worse um so one of the things uh, an example a well-known example that everybody knows about would be um tua's got a really really massive red flag called he had a massive hip injury that's a huge red flag However, it was a freak injury. It wasn't a result of how he plays. It wasn't a result of um, he takes too many hits. It wasn't a result of he's just injury prone. He's had two freak injuries. And we see guys all the time in all these different sports that maybe have a freak injury or two come back because it's nothing to do with their bodies. It's nothing to do with the fact that they just get injured a lot. They have these really weird once-in-a-lifetime injuries, and if they can recover from those injuries, um, then they have the talent level of a a top first-round guy. Um, So we'll talk about a guy in the second round, third round, maybe even fourth round um, from Alabama that fits this profile. Um, He's got kind of the catch-22, and we might be able to jump around a little bit here and and talk about some guys a little bit longer than others. Um, But we've got a guy – Terrell Lewis from Alabama. If you walked into a restaurant and you have a bunch of 
football players standing there, you're going to immediately look at Terrell Lewis because he's just – you look at him and you go, whoa. Um, he's super long, super athletic, um, super productive when he was on the field, um, but he was always hurt, and he didn't play a lot of defensive line in high school. So didn't play a lot of defensive line in high school, needed the reps in college, got hurt a lot in college, so he didn't get the reps. And so he needs the reps but he's hurt, so he can't get the reps, so he can't get better. Um, and so, he, But when he's on the field, he's just really, really good. He's a guy that I like in the mid-rounds because you can tolerate risk in the fourth round. Um, if you have a chance to get a guy that really could be a first- or second-round talent in the fourth round and he doesn't pan out, okay, that's fine because that one time that he does pan out, you end up with a perennial pro bowler, um, and, and that's what you want. And so a lot of these red flags we talk about, um, I try to differentiate between flaws in the game and red flags. Red flags would be we would pick him, but this thing is almost a deal breaker um, versus flaws in the game. I'm like, okay, nobody's perfect um, except Chase Young. He's basically perfect. <laughs> um, every, everybody else, you're, any normal prospect is not going to be perfect. So there's going to be some level of risk involved. The, level of, the question is what is your toler- how much do you tolerate risk? Um, and what kind of reward can you see coming from that? Um, so we, we've got that another guy uh, like Ross Blacklock from TCU, really quick defensive lineman, pretty good size. Um, he's super raw. Um, hasn't played there a lot. If you see him get blown off the ball. You see him. You see a lot of guys in this range have really really high highs of wow that was a great play and really really low lows of you just got blocked twenty yards downfield. Um, and again at defensive line we're a little bit okay with that because what's the worst thing that happens if you get blocked off the line? Maybe a guy gets an extra 10 yards. Um, maybe a quarterback has time to throw. Um, if you're an offensive lineman and you get blown off the ball, your quarterback gets sacked, he can fumble, you know, really, really bad things can happen. Versus a defensive lineman, if you get, you know, you get blown off the ball 20 times a game, okay, if you balance it out with five highlight plays, teams can look at that. Um, so we see a lot of, like, um, raw, he needs a little bit of work, maybe needs a red shirt year um, as we get further down into some of these mid-rounders. Um, and then, you know, you've just got a very similar um, guy, different position, but similar guy to Blacklock, um, kind of in my last of these guys, which would be uh, Julian Okwara from um, Notre Dame. Good pass rusher. He's limited by scheme. He's really only going to be a 3-4 linebacker, and he's not really strong. Um, we call it functional strength. Of, he's gonna go, he went to the combine, and I think he had a pretty decent uh, bench press number. You just don't see that on film. Um, and so when we talk about functional strength, he doesn't really know how to use his strength, meaning it's probably there somewhere. He just needs somebody to teach him this is how you use that strength that you have um, to be able to stand up to um, offensive linemen. So we've got, um, you know, he's another guy that can be a pretty good pass rusher, but it's probably going to need some work. Um, and that's kind of my, like, high-risk, high-reward, day one, fringe day two um, picks. You're going to see some of these guys go in the first round, and you're going to hear analysts talk about how they may be overdrafted and, it's a, overdrafted and it's a risky pick. But five years from now, we could look back and say, that was a really good pick. That was solid. So that group, again, uh, five through nine on your draft network big board. Uh, Gross, Gross Matos from 
Penn State, Bond from Wisconsin, Epinesa from Iowa, Blacklock from TCU, and O'Quara from Notre Dame. You mentioned Terrell Lewis. He's a guy you have him uh, 14th on your board, a couple guys ahead of him. But it sounds like these next guys are a combination of day two, day three, similar high variance where you have a lot of upside, but because of either lack of productivity, because of injuries, because of different things, they've fallen down your board a little bit. Um, I know you have to go soon, so we won't get to talk about the rest of these 16 guys extensively. You already touched on Terrell Lewis. If you want to jump around to some other guys that you feel like caught your attention, maybe you're going to fall a little bit lower than they should, or maybe someone that everybody's looking at as a surefire day two guy that maybe you think doesn't deserve to be picked until day three. So um, a lot of these guys, um, I like a lot of these mid-rounders. Um, they have a very common uh, theme that we've already touched on a little bit. Um, I more took these as these are guys I really think could play above their round potential. Um, and they're guys that you may have a grade on. Teams are going to grade their boards. They may have a first or second round grade on some of these guys, but aren't going to pick them in the first and second round because other teams aren't going to pick them in the first or second round. Um, so we've got guys like um, – Justin Mutabuke from um, A&M. It was not Javon Kinlaw. It was not Derek Brown, but it was Justin Mutabuke with the most pressures of any SEC defensive tackle last year. Hmm. His film, pretty good, but the numbers don't lie. Um, and even if he's not wowing you on film, he's getting to the quarterback consistently, and there's something to be said about that, especially on, you know, on day two of the draft, even maybe day three if he falls. He probably won't fall. He's a a second-round guy probably, but we like him. We like him with production. Another SEC defensive tackle, we've got Jordan Elliott. It was not Javon Kinlaw. It was not Derek Brown. It was not Justin Mutabuke with the highest SEC um, pass rush grade among defensive tackles. It was Jordan Elliott from uh, Mizzou. He's um, solid. He's not going to wow you on tape, Um, especially defensive line. You want guys that are going to wow you on tape. But there's something to be said about guys that are just going to be really solid, and if they were good in college, they're probably going to be good in the pros if they had that competition level. So we've got another, um, you know, we've got those two uh, SEC defensive linemen. We've got Raekwon Davis from Alabama, another SEC defensive tackle. Um, he was a five-star recruit, um, number like two, two or three defensive linemen in the country his year, um, and just really never hit his potential. Um, Similar to a couple of these other guys, uh, uh, similar to Gross Matos, he hit his high sophomore year and was just never – And now that sophomore year Bama defensive line was insanely good, which has a lot to do with it. Um, but he never really dominated like some of the Bama defensive tackles before him. Um, but he's shown on film, he's shown flashes on film, um, that that potential out of high school was warranted. And he's still got that potential. You don't lose potential um, just magically. Um, and he's still got the athleticism. He's still got the potential he showed in high school. He's just got to be more consistent. And so we like guys like that. You don't need him to be um, an everyday defensive tackle to start. You can redshirt him. You can play him rotationally. Uh, and we like things like that. Um, another SEC guy, um, we've got Jabari Zuniga. Um, super inconsistent. His film is all over the place. He goes from – he was terrible against Georgia. He was awful against um, Auburn. I think, I think it was Auburn, Auburn or LSU, one of, the, one of the two. He was really, really bad. Miami – Jabari Zuniga against Miami was the best single game um, outside of Javon Kinlaw against Georgia probably um, of any defensive lineman in this class. He was just all over the place. Got hurt, um, which – 
ended his um, really good senior year early. He's a guy we really like. He doesn't have anything. Um, when he's playing well, he's a pass rush nightmare. Um, he's not very bendy. He doesn't have that kind of really nice balance and bend around the edge that we like. He's not prototypical size. He's a little short, um, a little stockier, doesn't have a super, super high um, athleticism scale. But there are times on film when you look at him and go, he's the best player in the country, um, which, you know, if you can hit that consistently, that's something you want. Um, we talked a little bit about Terrell Lewis. He was raw, always hurt, um, not a good combination, but it leads you to believe that if he's not hurt, um, he can really, really play well with some more of those reps. So he's a guy he might get a red shirt year, um, really uh, long, athletic, can get guys um, kind of like Javon Kinlaw and um, spread out. He had the second longest arms um, in the combine. Uh, so we like him. And then a local guy, uh, I guess for me, um, Alex Highsmith from Charlotte. Um, Profile is a little bit like Chasen, but without the film, um, well, without the, the, out the competition level. He didn't play great against Clemson on film, but after the game, you have two Clemson offensive linemen talking about how he was actually the best defensive lineman they'd faced all season. Um, and that he was really, he's really quick. He can get around the edge. He's really bendy. He's got your two explosion and bend around the edge. We like that. Um, he probably needs a red shirt year. He was a former walk-on. Um, so he's probably going to have to take a year to ease into the NFL. Uh, but he's a guy I really, really like is that kind of like round four, round five sleeper. Um, and a lot of mock drafts I'm doing for the Panthers. I like him a lot to the Panthers. And for um, what it's worth, he's, he's the guy first that, guy that you have here on your big board that did not play at a Power 5 school. You've got Ohio State, Auburn, South Carolina, LSU, Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, TCU, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, Missouri, Alabama, Florida, Alabama, and then Charlotte. Yes. Um, that won't happen for every position at defensive line. I just really kind of like sticking to the Power 5 guys There's lower risk. Now, granted, you can, you can come up with um, – you know, some of these guys, um, I'm trying to think, was it Khalil Mack that went to Buffalo? Um, you know, you got a couple guys in the NFL that um, went to these smaller schools and really, really, yeah, he, um, Khalil Mack at Buffalo. Um, you, you got some of these guys that went to smaller schools and really panned out in the NFL. Um, but they had a little bit more of the athletic profile. Um, Khalil Mack was a top five pick. So he, you knew coming out, he dominated all the senior bowl stuff or the senior bowl. Um, all-star games, all that kind of stuff. Um, so we really like um, some of these guys. If you're fast enough and you can get around the edge and you can rush the passer, there's some things that don't change depending on what you know, whatever level you're at. Um, but I feel a little bit more comfortable taking a, for example, small school receiver than I do a small school defensive end. A lot of that goes back to recruiting. Of uh, most of the time. You have, you've got a lot of receivers that are under-recruited and just grow a little bit, get a little bit faster, get better with the ball in their hands, um, and get um, uh, become really good in college at smaller schools. You don't see that as much from defensive ends. The only way you usually see it is um, a guy went in as a linebacker and gained 50 pounds and two inches and sped up and went from unheralded recruit to – big-time um, defensive end. Mm. You also got a guy that fits that profile, except for the small school in DJ Wanna, uh, came in, only had an offer from Indiana, gets a really last-minute offer from Will Muschamp, um, who's a tight end, 
immediately moves to defensive end and immediately has a you know pretty good career. Um, he's another guy. Um, he was hurt way too much, um, and that that's a big red flag. But he looks the part. He's intelligent. He's strong. He's quick. If you look at the combine numbers, he's at the top of every category. Um, I think he's top five of um, shuttle and 40. And uh, for, like, hybrid defensive end linebackers, he's top five for um, uh, bench press and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Crazy athletic. And he's got all the upside in the world. We saw that at South Carolina um, when he's healthy. So if he can stay healthy, he's a day day three guy that – teams are really going to like i was surprised to see him um, as high as 17 on your list but the obviously we've seen the athleticism we've seen the explosiveness and when he's healthy when he's on he can really take over a game do you see him and i know it's going to depend on what teams are drafting and what scheme they're playing but in terms of best possible potential fit for one do you see him being still a hand in his dirt hand in the dirt kind of guy he played the buck for carolina so he was theoretically kind of a linebacker, played in space, but I think like 70-80% of the snaps he played at Carolina, he had his hand in the dirt anyway. So do you expect him to be a D-end or more of an outside linebacker pass rusher type in the NFL? Yes. Um, There are a lot of teams right now that are moving kind of towards that or getting away from we're a 3-4 team, we're a 4-3 team. Um, I think the Vikings, the 49ers, the um, Cowboys, um, Panthers, Falcons, Saints are kind of getting there. They're still a little bit more 4-3. Um, Ravens, um, Bengals eventually are going to that. They're loading that defense with guys that can play all over. Um, I think he's a rotational guy to begin with. Um, but if you're a rotational guy that comes in and gets eight sacks, um, you can make a lot of money in the NFL and eventually get to a team that's going to pay you well. Um, so I, I think that you can see him at, at both defensive ends and linebacker, maybe on the same team, maybe on back-to-back snaps. He puts the sand in the dirt one play, um, and then he's off the ball as a linebacker the next play. He doesn't offer quite that. When you compare him to linebackers athletically, he doesn't stand out. When you compare him to defensive ends athletically, he stands out. Um, So I I think there that's a little bit of a – kind of depends on on where he's going to play. But I could see a team like the Vikings or some of those teams I mentioned earlier – that value guys that can do both. Really liking uh, DJ Wanham. Another thing to look at is teams love Will Muschamp defensive ends. They love Will Muschamp safeties. Um, he's a Will Muschamp defensive end, so that gives him a lot of credibility in the league. Um, among a lot of the coaches in the league, they know he's going to be well coached. Um, they know he's going to come out um, and probably outperform um, what he did in college, mostly because of his injury history um but if he stays healthy he's a guy that really could be a solid player in the nfl all right you got to run here in just a second we got eight more guys on the list give me just one or two that you feel like are being overvalued or undervalued right now and then one guy um, that's a little overvalued um is neville gallimore from um oklahoma he's he just doesn't stand out to me at all um He's a little. He's going to be the first nose tackle pit. Um, he, he's very much a zero technique right over the center. I think AFC North, for whatever reason, is what I always think uh, when I think that position. Um, you know, kind of your your big guy. He's not super tall, but he just doesn't to me offer a lot of upside to warrant picking him early in the second round. I still want a guy in the second round that can become a Pro Bowler. And this guy's not going to become a Pro Bowler. He could be a solid starter, um, but he's 
at that nose tackle position, not the most important position. Um, a lot of times you can pick a big guy that takes up space and plug him in at nose tackle and be just fine um, and spend assets elsewhere, and that includes draft up assets. So I just don't love him. Um, I don't know what to do with Marlon Davidson. Um, he's got that versatility in, uh, from Auburn. He's got that versatility in a bad way. Of He played all over at Auburn, but there's nowhere he fits at the NFL. So I don't know if I could look at him and say, yeah, that's your home. That's where you should be. Um, and if I do, there are other guys that I'm like, yeah, but he's a, this guy's a better three technique than, um, than Marlon Davidson. So, uh, for example, I look at, you know, maybe he can play outside of the five technique. And I'm go, well, I'd rather have Zuniga at the five than I would um, Davidson. I can look and say, well, maybe I could put him at the three technique. And it's like, well, I'd rather have Raekwon Davis at the three technique than, um, than there. It's like, oh, well, maybe, you know, he could play in, like really far inside. And I was like, well, I'd rather have, you know, some of these other guys that far inside. Um, so maybe there's a stroke of genius, but I just don't know where to put him. It's not saying I don't like him. It's just I don't know where he goes. Hmm. Um, a, a couple other guys, just names I really like. Um, Javon Hamilton from uh, Ohio State is just falling down draft boards. He's like mid-fourth round. And he's, to me, as good if not better than Gallimore, who's listed early second round in a lot of mocks I see. Um, he has no weaknesses. He was solid. He plays tackle, he plays nose tackle. Um, you know, he's, he's a big guy. He's decently athletic. He's not going to wow you, but in the fourth round, I would love a guy that started at defensive tackle at Ohio State and was really good at defensive tackle at Ohio State. Um, Jason Strobridge from um, UNC, he's a bit clunky, uh, but I really like him. He can play the five technique. He's a Big, big dude. Looks like an offensive lineman, but can play defensive end. Um, I really like that. Um, has a lot of special teams experience. That's always helpful, especially when we get into those later rounds. Um, and then a couple guys. Um, Darrell Taylor from uh, Tennessee. South Carolina fans know him. He dominated against South Carolina like four times. Uh, three times, I think. I think he, um, he only played three times. But anyway, he dominated South Carolina every time they played. Um, crazy, crazy athletic. Has a couple here and there red flags, not not big stuff, just some injuries here and there um, that may discourage some uh, teams for him um, from getting to him. Um, but I like him a lot. Um, he's been putting out a lot of videos on on Twitter because he didn't get to go to the draft. He's supposed to have a pro day. Um, he was rehabbing an injury, didn't get to go to the draft. Um, but he's as far as athletically offers a lot to a team. So a team that can um, can refine him a little bit, make him a little bit better in those late rounds, is really going to be happy. Um, another guy, when we talk about production, just not projecting well the NFL, um, James Lynch played at Baylor. Um, everybody in the world is saying he's going to go to the Panthers at some point because um, Matt, Matt Rule loves him. Um, he's Baylor's all-time leading sack leader. He just doesn't offer anything that wows you at the NFL. I'm seeing him as an all-time leader in sacks at a Big 12 school as an undrafted free agent. I think he gets drafted. I think some team takes a flyer on him in the, in the sixth or seventh round because at that point I do like guys that were really productive in college, even if they don't wow me on film or wow me in the weight room or anything like that. So James Lynch is another guy that I'm looking at. Um, and then other than that, I've got you know one or two guys that I think are a little bit overrated. I don't know what to do with Anthony uh, Jenkins from Alabama. He's similar to Terrell Lewis but he played more and was less productive. So, you know, kind of the opposite there, played similar body type and everything. Um, just don't 
necessarily love him as much as um, some of these higher upside guys. Um, Curtis Weaver from Boise State doesn't wow me. I think he's going to be solid. I think he's. I see him going to some sort of like AFC West team um, and being a decent, solid third option um, at defensive end. But we're seeing him on some mock drafts as high as the late first round. I just don't see it. Um, so really, um, can't really think of any other guys that I really wanted to talk about. Um, Jonathan Greenard from uh, Florida, very similar to Zuniga probably a little bit better in college. Don't think he'll be as good as in the NFL, um, but we like SEC defensive ends. So um, if you like guys that were productive in college and played at a high level, um, that would be a lot of these SEC defensive ends. So day two is just going to be loaded with SEC defensive linemen in this draft. When in doubt, just go SEC defensive line. Hey, tell everybody listening what you're doing on Twitch. So, um, got the idea a couple days ago. Um, Twitch, if you guys don't know, is a streaming platform for video games. Um, I watched a couple concerts on there the other day that they did like a live stream concert of like, oh, here's the guy from Mumford and Sons playing some music. Oh, here's the guy from the Lumineers playing some music. Like, we love that. And then, you know, it was really the first time that Twitch even acknowledged itself as more than a gaming platform. Um, and kind of saw the opportunity. So started up a Twitch. Um, it is prep underscore RA. I'm going to be doing a lot of different things. I'm going to actually be live streaming some of my draft prep next week. I don't think we've even decided, Pearson, though, what position group we're going to do next week. Um, probably we'll jump over the offensive side of the ball, maybe maybe running back or something like that. Okay. Um, and so whenever we decide, I'll put out a time that I'm going to be streaming that. Um, and you guys can come hang out and watch me as I kind of watch film and kind of organize some of these, these guys on my big board um, so you guys can kind of get a, a feel for what that's like. Um, this afternoon, um, if this will be up uh, Tuesday afternoon. If it's not up yet, you know, go back and watch the video of it. Um, I'm live streaming, um, breaking down film of two quarterbacks in South Carolina, uh, one of them being Luke Doty, um, another being a really um, – under-recruited guy um, in Marshall Skoloff from Eastside High School. He's got some elite, elite um, traits as a quarterback. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be taking different high school positions and walking through some huddle film. What am I looking for? What are my college coaches that I talk to looking for? Um, so if you are interested in any of that, like behind-the-scenes recruiting stuff, um, less so of the where's this guy going and more so what are, what are we looking for, what are we scouting for, um, I'll be doing that, a lot of that over the next few weeks. Or if you're a high school athlete and um, would like to know what you need to do to make your film look better, we're going to be talking a little bit about that um, over the next few days. But I'm trying to stream at least you know four or five times a week. Um, so come hang out. You can chat on there. Um, I'll answer questions. Uh, very laid back um, kind of thing. So pretty excited about all this. Um, and hopefully uh, you guys like it too. Prep underscore RA on Twitch. And to find out when exactly you're going to be streaming, y'all just stay tuned to his Twitter at WHelms21. And uh, also, Will, the reason you got to hop off right now is you're about to go do some tutoring. Be sure to check out his website, his company, Prep RA, which is prep ra.com. Twitch prep underscore RA. The website is prep ra for ACT and SAT prep, for private group tutoring, for subject tutoring, college prep, recruiting guidance, social media workshops, essay editing. Basically anything that you need to get yourself prepared to be a true student athlete at the next level, whether it's the academic side, whether it's the film side, prep-ra.com. And again, all this stuff 
on Twitter at WHelms21. Will, great stuff. Love your insights as always. We will do something offensive next week. Let's just go ahead and commit to running backs. You good with that? You got enough on running backs that we yeah, can do that next week? Works for me. Perfect. All right, running backs next week. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this and everything on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network, and we'll talk to you next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.